I've been thinking about laws, been thinking about rules, and uh, and there's a few. I won't put that there, otherwise you can't get to the can't get to the keyboard. Uh, anyway, so I've been thinking about rules. I've been thinking about laws, and uh, and the kind of different laws that we have. Um, the first law that came to my mind was um, uh, was uh, Murphy's law. Uh, has anyone heard of Murphy's law? You know, in England they call it Sod's law. I don't know why. I was trying to find out the reason. But at first, when I heard about Murphy's law, I thought it was a, I thought it was a dig at the Irish, and because um, the Irish get a lot of stick, especially in the UK. You know, you can think about different jokes and things like that. Best Irishman's invention: underwater hairdryer. Ejector seat in a helicopter. Inf- hey? Do they? Uh, well, well, that's a great invention then. And uh, inflatable dartboard. So, so no offense to the Irish. Wonderful people. I'm sure that the Irish just have as many jokes about the English on, on the opposite side there. Um, but Murph- Murphy's Law. So the idea of Murphy's Law, um, it actually came from this American guy, uh, Captain Murphy. Uh, he was, well, actually, it was there way before that, but it just got named Murphy's Law after that. And this guy was working on a project, and uh, the worst case scenario happened. The guy said something like, if there's two options, you're always going to choose the one that's a catastrophe, right? But you can think about how Murphy's Law looks in our lives. You may put bread into the toaster, right? You toast it, comes up, you butter the bread. Which way does it fall? It always fall, always, always falls on the buttered side up. Um, you can think about when you go to the toilet, toilet seat, you know, if you're a man, toilet seat's always down, toilet seat, seat should always be up when you go to the toilet. Um, <laughs> thank you. So, <laughs> to- no, no, toilet seat should always, always go down, always be thoughtful of the next person coming, especially if it's a woman. So, so this, is, this, is, this, is, this is Murphy's Law. You know, if you're driving to work, driving to work and guaranteed if you're late, every single light is a red light. The, the issue with Murphy's Law is that I think, I think as human beings, often we're attracted to the negative. Um, it's not actually true. You know, you kind of like when you walk into the toilet and you see the toilet seat kind of up, if you're a lady, you just kind of like it imprints on your mind. This is always the case. This is always, always. It's like it's not always the case. It's just that you remember the negative. It's the same way like you always remember when the red lights are there, but you never remember the times that every single, you know, you kind of get through all the green lights and you get to work on time. We don't remember those times. We just remember the bad times. So Murphy's Law, I don't think it's actually true. But there's another type of law as well. There's, there's scientific law, you know? So if you're um, boiling the kettle, uh, you know that the, 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 the water boils at 100 degrees every single time. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter whether, you, whether you're in the UK or Australia, Europe, wherever. The water always boils at 100 degrees. It never boils at 95 degrees. It always boils at 100 degrees, right? That's just the way things are. Um, Newton had a, had a law of inertia. Uh, that, you know, if you're playing, let's say you're playing football on the street and you kick the ball and it starts to roll down the hill, that ball will continue to roll until something stops it from rolling. It will just continue to go, right? Until something comes in the way to prevent it. So, you know, if you're driving a car and let's say if you, you have a knock in the car, if you've got your seatbelt on, it'll hold you. If you don't have your seatbelt on, you'll, you'll go forward, right? That's the rule of inertia. There's nothing preventing you from going forward. Um, there's another type of law. There's Australian law. Uh, Australian, Australian law is optional. Uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to follow the law if you don't want to follow the law. If you want to rob a bank, you want to go out today and rob a bank, you're more than free, you have freedom to do so. There's consequences for robbing a bank. You know, we, have cho- we, can, 
Uh, we can do whatever we want. If you want to drive down the road at 100 kilometers an hour, you can do that, right? But if you get pinged, if the, if the police pull you over, you can try to argue with them. You can say, well, my interpretation of the law is that this is 100 kilometers an hour down here when it's really 18. You're not going to get very far, but you have the freedom and the choice. The thing is with Australian law is this. It's like, uh, and it reminds me of being in the UK, that um, if I uh, commit a crime, uh, in the UK, I'm not saying that I committed crimes, well, I, I did break some laws in the UK, <laughs> but, but, but the point is this, that if I leave the UK and come to Australia, they can no longer hold me accountable, right? They can't get me, unless, it, unless, it, unless it's something extravagant. You know, you can think of like Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, and they try to extradite people to bring them back so they can put them on trial. But generally speaking, if you, if you flee the country, it's goodbye, that's why I'm here. So. <laughs> the <laughs> living up to Australia's name of inviting convicts. So, <laughs> so, but that's Australian law. And, and also if you die, if you die, they can't hold you accountable, right? They're not going to put a corpse in prison. They're going to be sat there like that. It's not going to happen. If you die, you can't be he held accountable to Australian law. Um, then there's another law. There's God's law. Right? So the spiritual law. When God created all things, he infused his attributes. So God, God isn't creation. God is apart from creation. But his attributes, his characteristics are found in creation. Right? So that this means that it doesn't matter where you go, what country you live in, whereabout, doesn't matter where you are in the universe, doesn't matter whether you're living or dying, God's law is still there. It's always there. And you can feel it. We know it, right? So it's like if you start to take the wrong choices in life, if you start to take the wrong direction, if you think alcohol is the way to go or drugs is the way to go or sleeping around is the way to go or crime is the way to go or stealing or lying or whatever it is, the consequences will be upon you. Even if you don't get caught in this life, the consequences are there. Broken families, broken relationships, you end up in prison, uh, you end up with bad health. The consequences are there because this is God's world. This is God's world. So the, the, the text that we're going to be looking at today is, um, is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. And it says this, it says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Another translation says the one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his ways will be found out. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. It's this idea of God's law in this world. If we walk with integrity, if we walk with, and the, and the word integrity in the original language means wholeness, completeness, right? So the idea is who you are here today on Sunday is exactly the same person that you are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. The way that you treat people here is the way that you treat your wife or your husband during the week. The way that you treat people here is the same way you treat people at work. It's wholeness, it com it's completeness, it's integrity. So the one who lives with integrity lives securely, but the one who takes crooked paths will be caught out. The idea is living the whole life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When this text says that we walk securely, it doesn't mean that everything will go well for us. It doesn't mean that life will be roses. What it means is that we don't need to keep looking back over our shoulder. We don't need to be anxious. One person said this, he said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. 
Right? If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember it. I don't have to be thinking, what did I say to this guy? What did I say to this lady? I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to be anxious. I can sleep well. The crooked path, the crooked path, the King James Version puts it like this. Have you got, the, you got that slide? He that, I love the King James, he that walketh uprightly, walketh surely, but he that perverteth his way sh- shall be known. The idea here is somewhat, I was listening to one guy explain this, and he said that it's like, um, uh, has anybody ever suffered with a bad back? So many people have, right? And so sometimes if you've got a bad back, you might need a, ro- a walking stick. Rob has a walking stick over there. I could use it as an example. And um, as a, as a, as a, as anyway, it doesn't matter. And um, anyway, so, so the idea of this is walking uprightly, walking with your shoulders back. But when we're taking the crooked paths, we can start to walk like this. So, well, we don't really walk like that, but metaphorically, we kind of walk like this. It's walking the crooked path. It's like we're walking, we're staggering around, along. It's, it's difficult for us to walk because of the path that we're taking, right? I'm not saying that anybody using a walking stick has, has walked a crooked path. <laughs> it's just, a, just an example. And, um, but this, so the one who walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his way shall be known. But I think there's something else to this as well, that when we think about integrity, the wonderful thing about, let's say, walking the crooked path is the recognition that we're on the crooked path. So an element of integrity is to say, man, I'm on the crooked path right now. I need to get off the crooked path, right? That, to me, is showing integrity. It's showing wholeness. It's complete. It's a recognition of where I am, and I get off the crooked path, and I start to walk integrity. It's like just an admission of saying, man, I am fallen. I do fall short. I am sinful. Sometimes I I am on the crooked path. Sometimes some of us take a longer walk on the crooked path, but it's a recognition that you know, when it's time to get off the crooked path, we're going to get on there. And that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which does that. But there's two sides to the coin of this. You know, when we're thinking about the crooked path, in one sense, you can visibly see if somebody's been on the crooked path, right? If somebody's taking the wrong choices and going the wrong direction in life, you can see it. I remember when I was, when I, back in the UK, and similar stories uh, to what some of the men will have here from Shalom is that back in the UK, up, up to various things, drinking far too much, doing various drugs, um, starting with like, you know, with LSD, cocaine, ecstasy, um, mushrooms, cannabis, any single drug, right? So it's like, and I'm living this lifestyle on the crooked path and it was visible. Um, Around that time, I, I was working on cruise ships, and I did two contracts on cruise ships. And I met a, I met a girl on the cruise ships. And uh, anyways, her parents had emigrated to Australia. Her parents had emigrated to Australia. When we came off the second contract, the second six-month uh, contract of the cruise ships, we, um, uh, we went back to the UK, and her parents came over. Her parents came over, and they met me. And straight away, they didn't say it to my face, but they said it to her, is he on drugs, right? And it's like they, they knew straight away that I was on the crooked path, that they could see it. It was visible. And, um, and, so, and, and that was, they didn't like me very much. I came to Australia, and they, they shortly kicked me out of the house, and then I was here by myself. Long story short, however, they could see that I was on the crooked path path. It was visible. It was noticeable. They could see it in my eye. On the, on the other side of the coin is this, though, that I think sometimes Christians are more tempted to be on the crooked path. 
that followers of Jesus can be more tempted to be on the crooked path. And the reason why I say this is that if there are probably a number of us here who have grown up in families that have had high expectations. Now, I'm not saying that all churches have very high expectations, but, but we can grow up in a family with high expectations. And there can be two things, two responses that happens, two responses that we do uh, in, in the case of that, right? So normally, if you're living in a family with high expectations, you can't meet those expectations, the demands are too high, one choice is that you rebel. One choice is that you just flee, you just get out of town, right? I can't deal with it, I can't deal with this pressure. The, the other option, sorry, I should have said Sunday youth can go out. I forgot. Sunday youth can go out. My apologies, I should have said it in the beginning. Sorry, Cheryl. Um, and, um, hey? So, yes, well, Mark, it, it, there's many crosses against my name. <laughs> <laughs> one more won't hurt. Um, so, um, so, so yes, yeah, so you're growing up in a family and the family has high expectations, so you can either rebel or what you do is you start, you become a hypocrite, right? So you become a hypocrite. So you start to fit in, right? Because in church circles, it's very easy to kind of brush ourselves off, put a smile on, everything's fine on the outside. But when we go home on a Sunday, after Sunday or when we jump in the car, we go speeding down the road and we might go to the pub, you know? Or, or we might go home and we might treat our loved ones badly, right? It's easy to kind of put the face on, put the facade on when we're in church, but then we're living the crooked path elsewhere. And that can be the same in families that have high expectations as well as the same way as church. And the challenge with this, I've spoken to a couple of people in the past who have come to church and they look around and they say, look how happy everybody is. Look how well everybody is living. And inside, they're tormented. Inside, it's challenging for them. Inside, they just feel, they feel smashed, they feel low, and they feel like they can't fit in. Now, a church shouldn't be like that. A church should be the place where we can come together, where it's safe, where we can confess sins, where we're open, where, where we recognize our fallenness and our brokenness, and we come together as God's people, but recognizing that we are sinful people. One thing that I was thinking about this, or an area that I was thinking about this, that when we come and we can, it's like what Jesus said. You know when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and Jesus said they were kind of vipers, he said they were whitewashed tombs. It's like this coffin, which is marble, right? Beautiful marble, white marble coffin, but inside is kind of just rotting flesh and dead men's bones. This is the challenge sometimes for followers of Jesus. It's like we want to live integrity. And when I say integrity, it's wholeness and it's completeness. In every single area of life, we are whole, complete. It doesn't mean we don't go wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. But there's a wholeness, there's an integrity there. Uh, Jesus, I think, names this with the religious leaders. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought about a film that I'd watched in the past. Has anybody seen uh, the, the picture of Dorian Gray? Anyone seen that? It's an old, probably no one. This, there was one hand at the back there. Yes, Jennifer, she's watched it, great. I don't need to tell you now. Um, so the picture of Dorian Gray, the story goes like this, right? There's this guy. He's in his mid-twenties, in his thirties, good-looking guy, and everything's going well, right? Kind of, well, he's a good-looking guy, right? And he doesn't want to lose his youth. He doesn't want to lose his youth. And there's this guy who comes along and paints this picture of him. Beautiful picture, wonderful picture of him. He admires this picture. And as the story goes, he kind of sells his soul. He sells his soul, and his soul is in this picture, right? So now, it doesn't matter what he does. It uh, sorry, it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what life he lives. He stays the same. He never grows old. He never looks bad. He never gets a wrinkle. But the picture 
starts to change. The picture starts to change. So one day he goes back to the picture and he sees this kind of snarl on the side of the picture's face. And he thinks, weird, it's strange. And he goes out and he keeps living this kind of like this debauched life, this bad life, this sinful life. And he keeps going back to the picture and the picture becomes more and more disfigured. It becomes vile. It becomes disgusting. This picture is just horrible and he covers it up. And eventually after years gone by, he comes back to the picture and he looks at it and it's absolutely disgusting. And to spoil the story, he, um, he stabs the painting, and in stabbing the painting, he dies. That picture is a picture of his soul. It's a picture of his soul. And it's not just that, it's a picture of all of our souls. What we see on the outside, when we see cleanness, when we see, you know, you've got the smile, everything's going well, inside God sees something very, very, very different. He sees a vile, debauched soul. He sees something filthy and disgusting. This is what God sees. He sees our soul, right? I was thinking about this, and sometimes when people say, people say this statement, they'll say, God loves the sinner, and God hates the sin. God loves the sinner and hates the sin. I think in one sense, yes, but in another sense, no. Psalm 11, 5 says this. It says, the Lord examines the righteous, but the, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. God hates the wicked person. He hates the violent person. Psalm 5 uh, chapter 5, verse 4 to 6 says, Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors. He detests murderers and deceivers. God hates sinners. God cannot stand sinners. In the same way that we might look at somebody like Hitler, and you say, I cannot stand what this guy did. It is abhorrent what he did. God sees us in the same light. And it's not just because God is cantankerous or God is mean or God is nasty. It's because of what sin does. Sin hurts. Sin destroys. Sin breaks down families. Sin, look at the world. Look at the state of the world. That is sin. And it's not looking at the next person and saying, look at what you're doing. It's us. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they said, look at the leaders of the world, look at Putin and things like that and look at what they're doing. And, and it's like, but where does it come from? Where does it come from? You know, uh, if, if, let me put it this way. If it's about borders and about land, if I have my house and let's say Anthony comes and he says, you know what, Jason, I'm going to put this shed on, on your property. And I'm like, I don't think so, mate. It's like, this is my property. You can't put your shed on my property, right? And we start to have disagreements about it. And I don't think we'd fight about it. But, uh, but, um, but, but either way, this is, this, this is the conflict. What I'm saying here is that this is in the heart of all of us. I can see it in my three-year-old son. Just yesterday, we was at a party, and he's, he's playing with this truck, and another kid comes up to him and tries to take the truck off him. And he doesn't have a bar of it. He's like, no, this is mine. And he starts crying about it. Now, he's got to learn to share, uh, but the other kid also has to learn not to take. But that is in our hearts from the beginning. All of us are there. Uh, all of us are in the same place. I read a book a while ago called Ordinary Men, uh, and it's about police officers in Germany, regular police officers who are going about their business around the 1940s. And they're, then they're recruited into uh, the Holocaust and, in, and, and, and recruited into the murder of Jewish people. These people were just sitting at home with their families. They were just regular police officers. And then they're brought in to do some of the most horrific crimes ever. 
that deception, that heart is in every single one of us. And that's why God hates sinners. He cannot stand it. Paul, amazingly, Paul says, uh, you know, when you're reading Romans and you come to chapter one, when, we're, when we talk about the gospel, often we talk about the gospel in this way. We'll say, you know what? God loves you. Christ died for you. All true. Paul, however, he starts in Romans this way. He talks about the wrath of God and the anger of God which, re- which is revealed on all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. It is the wrath and the anger of God. The reason why this is really important, and, and Paul lists a number of things here. He talks about sexual impurity, evil, greed, envy, murderers, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossips, jealousies. God hates sin and we are sinners. God hates hates it. He can't stand it. The reason why this is important is because when we're thinking about what it means to walk on the path of integrity, to not walk on the path of corruption, to not walk on the path of perversion, the reason why it's important is because we need to know where we're at before we can be saved. We need to be lost before we can be found. It's like this, you know, if, if you went to a doctor, if you went to the doctor and you said, hey, can I have some, um, some tests? Uh, can I have some tests, please? Uh, you went to Dr. Caleb and, uh, and you had some tests done and you said, hey, and a uh, number of tests. And you came back and the doctor said, everything's well. Everything's really good. Everything's fine. Everything's fantastic. You're in really good health. You're in fantastic health. However, what I want to do, I just want to do um, open heart surgery, just in case. We just want to make sure that we've crossed all the T's and dot all this. Your response is going to be like, What? I can't, no way, no way. It's like everything's well. If you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know what? Things are really bad. You've got 10 days to live. And unless we do open heart surgery, you're going to die. Your response is going to be completely different. And that is why it's so important to understand our plight, understand that we're under the wrath and the anger of God. You know, often we focus on John 3.16. God loves the world. God sent his son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But John 3.36 says, all who are in Christ have eternal life, but those who are not in Christ have the wrath of God abiding upon them, God's anger upon them. That's really important when we understand the gospel is to understand where we're at. It's like this. It's like if you're, um, let's say you're walking along and all of a sudden you fall down this well and you're, the, you, you, you're at the bottom of the well, you're in the mire, you're in the dirt, you're in the muck, you cannot do anything at all and you're there in the sludge, right? You can't get out. And then Jesus comes and he raises his hand down and all you have to do is reach his hand and he lifts you out of the mire, out of the dirt. That is our plight. We're in the well. We're stuck there. God's anger is upon us. We're in there. The wrath of God is upon us. And Jesus comes down and he comes to lift us out of the well. Now we can focus on the anger and you can focus on the wrath of God, but it's also important to focus on the love of God because God is compassionate, God is kind, God is full of grace, God's love. But if you want to see God's love, you look to the cross. If you want to see the love of God and how God has acted in this world and how God comes to save sinners, you look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus on the cross 
Isaiah 53, 5, 6 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have led God, uh, left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was despised. He was crushed. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter because of our sins. And that wrath, that anger that God has upon us was put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. He took the anger of God. He took the wrath of God upon himself for us. Isaiah 43:25 says he will remember your sins no longer. I heard one story it was about this this guy English guy bought a Rolls-Royce bought a Rolls-Royce he wasn't living in England at the time he was overseas bought this Rolls-Royce wonderful Rolls-Royce and the promise to him when he bought this Rolls-Royce is Rolls-Royces never ever break down never break down never and of course it's English never break down and um <laughs> and this guy, anyway, so he's driving along, <laughs> car breaks down, <laughs> and uh, the Rolls-Royce breaks down. He's like, what am I going to do? So, so anyways, he calls up Rolls-Royce, and he says, hey, my car's broken down. You said this promise that it wasn't going to break down. And so what they did, they sent a mechanic out, flew this mechanic over. This mechanic came, fixed up the car, fixed everything in the car, got it going again. And all of a sudden, the mechanic goes off, flies back, flies back to the UK. I think I'm right with Rolls-Royce has been made in the UK. Flies back to the UK. Anyways, this wealthy man, wealthy English man, he's there and he's wondering, he's like, he's expecting the bill to come through. Where's the bill? Where's the bill for this car? One month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by, still no bill. And so he rings up Rolls-Royce. He rings up Rolls-Royce and he says, he says, hey, he goes, a few months ago, this mechanic came out and fixed my car. Fixed my car. And he's like, he goes, look, we have absolutely no record of anybody coming to fix your car, right? And uh, the same idea is that when we come to Christ, that God has no record of our sins. There is no more anger, no more wrath, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no record of sin because God no longer sees you as this wicked sinner. He sees you in the light of his son, Jesus Christ. No more sins, no more condemnations. Yes, we fall short. Yes, we stumble. But in God's eyes, it's been dealt with at the cross. In the same way that when you think about Australian law and when we die here in Australia, we cannot be held accountable to the law is the exact same way that when we die with Christ, we are crucified with Christ and we can no longer be held accountable to the law of sin and death. We are a new creature, a new person in Jesus Christ. In the same way that you have the law of inertia and you're rolling down the hill, the ball's rolling down the hill, we're rolling down the hill and unless something comes in to stop us, unless something comes in to take us from the crooked path, we'll just keep going down it and that's what Jesus Christ did he takes us from the path he stops us from going any further he comes in and he renews us and he gives us newness of life Proverbs chapter 10 whoever walks in integrity walks securely but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out the, in, the idea of integrity here, the wholeness and completeness, it is not just behaviorism. It's not just, just live a better life. 
Just do this, just do this, and everything will be fine. The only way to have true completeness and true wholeness is by Jesus Christ, is by a transformation. The, 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 um, um, the, the heart transplant, the open heart surgery, that's what we need, and that can only come through Jesus Christ, and that's how we're changed. I remember when I was in the UK, I've just shared a, a bit of my story, um, but the change that happened to me, living a, living a wretched lifestyle. I remember when I came, I've shared this story before, but I remember when I came here and um, had no one. Uh, the girl who I came over, the lady who I came over with, kicked me out of the house. Uh, her parents kicked me out of the house, and I had no one, no family, nothing. I was sat there in my apartment drinking those kind of boxes of wine. That was my life, right? That's what I was doing, right? I met a person. He brought me to Jesus Christ. But before that, when I first came over, I would write. I would write in a journal. I would write about my thoughts, my intents. This is before I came to Jesus Christ. I would write things like, it's okay to take cocaine as long as it's in moderation. You know, as long as it's only a few days a week and as long as you're only getting a few, as long as you're getting drunk a few days a week and as long as you're just sleeping around just a little bit, but as long as you're not hurting anyone because that's always the rule. Let me do what I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anyone. This was my thinking. When I came to Christ, when I came to Christ, I forgot that I actually wrote all of that. And then a few months after coming to Christ, I looked back and I started to read that. And I was like, this is a completely different person. Christ had turned my life around 180 degrees. On the day that I committed my life to Christ, peace came into my heart. I was a changed person, never looking back, having a zeal for Christ and a zeal for God. That's what Jesus Christ does. He changes our hearts in completeness and wholeness so that we can walk a path of integrity and a path that honors and glorifies God. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes the crooked path will be found out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your, for your saving power upon the cross. We thank you for your shed blood, and we thank you that you took the anger and the judgment and the wrath that was supposed to be upon us, you took upon the cross, so that we can be children so that we can be adopted into your family. Father, we thank you. May we honor and glorify you in all things. Help us to walk on that path of completeness and wholeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.